All right. Welcome back to another episode of Trades Talk. We're here today with uh, my co-host, Justin White. And our guest that we are excited for is Chris Jennings. He's the managing partner of the Chris Jennings Group. Seems about right, seeing as the group is named after him. But this group focuses specifically on sales coaching and sales tactics with some businesses. Justin's used them continues to use them. Um, so yeah, great conversation today. Justin, what's your take on it? Yeah, super excited to jump in with Chris today, guys. He's been working with our team for about a year. And it's not what you think when we talk sales coaching. His focus is really all about developing people, creating expectations, not only with your employees, but your clients. And he shares a lot of insights. I would say he's, he's shared a few that are a little controversial that might actually push you to try a little harder and rethink your sales approach. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting how he talks about, you know, what motivates salespeople and how that's shifted and changed over time, as well as, you know, things you should be doing daily through your business. So I also want to apologize to our listeners ahead of time while recording. Unfortunately, the fire alarm in my building went off. So there'll be a break in there where Justin takes the lead for a little while. Thank you, Justin, for that. But not as smooth as our normal episodes, but kind of funny that it happened right in the middle of recording. Yeah, we keep it rolling. And, <laughs> and this is a fun episode from start to finish. Like I said, there's some things that Chris shares, which I think are in contrast in how we think about sales historically. So this is a new world. It's a new year. 2024 is different. You have to adjust and adapt. And Chris shares a lot of insights on how you're going to do that this year. So I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Yeah, let's get into it. All right. Welcome to the show, Chris. Excited to have you on today. You want to give our listeners yeah. a little background of who you are? Yeah. Thanks, Justin. Glad to be here. Thanks, Maggie. Chris Jennings, chrisjenningsgroup.com. So I've been a, a sales coach, leadership coach, and speaker for the last 30 years. So we work with a host of different industries, helping people how to figure out how to lead sales organizations in the most effective way possible help people who are client-facing uh, in any regard have better conversations with their customers. And we set up systems process and uh, do coaching and training around that to make sure that uh, everybody flourishes in an area that can be sometimes scary for people. And, and we take the scariness out of it. That's what I've been doing. Yeah, and it's great. So folks, Chris and I and one of his team members, Anthony Mayo, have been working together for a little over a year now. And in 2023, KD Landscaping doubled our sales compared to 2022. Yeah. And Chris, I don't even think I've told you this. So these kind of this, and, and I can't say we did anything spectacularly different other than we just started focusing on sales. So Chris, tell me a little bit, if you are a trades company or you're just a company in general looking to grow your business, how important is sales as part of that ingredient mix for growth? Sure. Yeah, it's a great question. Thanks, Justin. And congrats on uh, doubling sales. That's pretty cool. So in a, in a lot of trade organizations, you know, demand feeds the feeds the engine and you get used to just responding to to the demand of the marketplace, right? So you're you tend to get more reactive until the marketplace is uh, less demanding. And and you want to be ahead of that. And the the other thing I'll say is even if there's a ton of demand out there, being proactive to get the best kind of business. Because for a lot of companies, when you get to capacity, it's not really about continuing to grow. It's growing with the right kinds of accounts. So are the accounts that you're getting, the accounts that are coming to you, do they really fit your business in a way that allows you to hit the numbers, margin numbers and profit numbers that you're wanting to 
So I think regardless of how much demand is coming at you, having a focused way about how we want to grow our business, what does that mean in terms of responsibilities of people inside of the organization? Who's leading that effort? What's accountability look like? All those questions. I think it's a really important topic for any organization. Yeah, it's interesting. Over the last couple of years with the whole pandemic and everything, what I've experienced working with landscapers and trade companies all throughout the U.S. and Canada is that they've been able to increase their sales through demand from people being at home. And, you know, especially those who focus on residential, you know, the, the work has just been flowing right to them. And we're at this pivot point now where we're going to have to go and source kind of our own sales and, and get our own sales. So if you had to sum up a sales playbook, you know, in, in a couple of minutes of how you would start building that structure to put together uh-huh. an outbound effort, what would that look like? Sure. Yeah. Great question. If, if you want the cheat sheet, Conversations Made Easy, the book we put out uh, on Amazon, you know, is the cheat sheet to how to build your own sales playbook. But for your listeners, I would just say, start with the activities that you want people to engage in. I'm big on like, what are you doing? Right? So if you looked at every customer facing role in your company, whether you have sales and business development, or you do all of your business through what we call special teams players. Special teams players are non-sales roles that actually have client interaction. And what you got to figure out, what are the activities that you want your people to be engaged in. For my sales team, I always want five specific activities of things that they're doing, asking for referrals, doing lunch alerts, going to conferences, whatever those things might be. Same thing for my special teams players. What are those? And maybe it's only three things that my special teams players need to do. You know, they need to ask for referrals. They need to invite people to come to a, a workshop that we put on quarterly, and they need to network with other strategic partners that call in the same companies. And if you figure out what those three to five activities are, that's your that's where you start, okay? And then that so that's the what you're doing, and then the the rest of it is the how you go about doing it. Because there might be something you start. Let's say you start with a lunch and learn campaign, and in the beginning nobody comes to your lunch and learns. Well, maybe you're not promoting it the right way. Maybe you haven't invited people early enough. You know, there's a learning curve in all those activities. So I start with what you need to do. You come up with what we call a 30-minute success plan. You build those out for each customer-facing role. And then then you work on the how to do that and do it more effectively with a greater confidence level and greater effect. Yeah. And and I and Chris, I like the idea of the special teams player. So we typically have project managers and estimators who who share roles. You know, an estimator may go manage a project and a project manager may help out on an estimate. Now, when we're talking about these activities specifically to a special teams player, like a project manager, or even an account manager whose job is mostly to retain business, but you know, sometimes to go out and get business. You mentioned referrals. You mentioned, what are some of the other things that these special teams players you see show up in these activities yeah. of a special teams player? Yeah, so not using your special teams players to maximum effect is guaranteed going to cost you money. So if you want to add margin, if you want to add net profit, and you want to have a greater client overall experience, then you give that that special teams players clear direction on what it is that you want them to do. Number one is referrals. I love doing business through referrals. Everybody loves biz- doing business through referrals. So are they com- comfortable, confident, and actually asking on a regular basis? So how do they go about the ask? The, the next book that'll come out is called The Client Retention Matrix. 
we have something like 20 different ways to ask for referrals. So look for that. We got a nice little, there's a PDF on our website too. You can just download it. So number one is referrals. I love a workshop or a lunch and learn. Number two, number three, the strategic partners. So if you're a landscaper, what other trades are out there doing great work? So there's a window and door company. There's an HVAC company. So that the partnership, I feel like if you work collaboratively with the other trades, that you get so much more mileage out of each one of your individual efforts. So I would be really looking to double down on that partnership uh, capacity and figure out who are your, you know, is there a kitchen and bath remodeler that just does a great job that you feel really comfortable referring to and they're referring to you? They're not touching landscape stuff. You're not touching kitchens and you refer back and forth. And, and everybody knows that and everybody has some of that. But what I find for most companies, they're not proactive about that. They're not disciplined about that. And it's a real miss. And, and I think, you know, you can 2X like you did. You can 2X your results just by focusing on this in the right kind of way. So those would be yeah. the three activities I would start with. That's so good. From my experience in sales, specifically around the referrals and partnerships, it goes back to this idea that there's a little bit of an imposter syndrome and the person asking for the referral. Like, have I done enough to ask them for a referral? And, and the question is, yes, like you've earned your spot at the table to ask them for a referral, just like as, yeah. you know, doing software, taking someone through the journey on a demo, like I've earned the right to ask someone for their business. And I think that's where a lot of people have this complex and it stops them from asking for referrals is, you know, are, am I doing enough that they're going to want to give me their business? Yeah. Tying into that, though, also is this idea of partnerships and the more in invested and ingrained you get with a company, meaning if your your friends are using that company and then you're also using their partners, the harder it is to break up that relationship with mm-hmm. that provider. I personally know just the this idea of retaining clients, how it can save you money versus just, you know, turning and burning them. Um, yeah. I know you talk about that in your new book. So want to speak to a little bit about how it's, you know, cheaper to keep clients versus getting new ones? Yeah. So first of all, I got to comment on you. I like how you called not asking for referrals a complex because, you know, that people have this I'm not worthy complex. And, uh, you know, and lots of people, unfortunately, who are experienced professionals, great at their job, lack the confidence to just bring up the topic. So and one of the little nuanced things that we do is, you know, I don't ask people for a referral. I don't suggest asking for a referral. Just ask who you could connect me to. Because that's really what we want is we want a connection to somebody else, right? And it, which has a different energy than asking for a referral. So if you some there are some things in the words and how you ask that make it easier. But overall, like we're always as leaders, we're always trying to build the confidence of the team around us. And so if you look at your team and you think, boy, the team doesn't have confidence when it comes to asking for referrals. Is that something in the process? Is it something in how often we practice it? Like there's something we could do. And if they develop that confidence working for you and your organization as a leader, I think you're really going to uh, get up, build a lot of loyalty, et cetera. So, so that to me yes. is big. And sorry, sorry to cut you off, Chris. I want to come back to this retaining clients bit. Before I wanted to make a note on, on and add to this whole thing about referrals. One of the things we did last year was simply start getting our special teams players to ask for referrals at the beginning of the project. Now yes. you kind of alluded to this. You are 
folks always feel like they have to wait till the job's done, they're paid, the checklist is done, punch list is finalized. You can ask for a referral, you know, technically during the sales process. Is that something that you guys teach, Chris? Yeah, definitely. I mean, lean in, tell them like, hey, we're going to do, you know, we're going to bend over backwards to do a great job for you. And listen, I'm not saying, especially if it's construction, your construction or software even, right? Your construction project, your software install, it's going to have problems. And my job is to navigate those problems and make them go away fast, right? And we're really good at making those problems go away and go away fast. Some problems are more complex, but we're going to get it done. And part of the reason you're going to see me work so hard is because I'm counting on you introducing me to at least two other people that you know that you that you think we can help and need this kind of work. And you tell them that right in the very beginning, like that's part of the relationship. Like to me, yeah. you know, just invoicing somebody is not enough. You know, yeah, we're going to send you an invoice for the work, but as we're developing our relationship and you grow in confidence that we do a great job coaching your sales team, building out your landscape, installing your software, I'm going to count on you to like figure out who else is out there that I would probably never meet if it wasn't for your help. And I think if you plant that seed early and you put that stake in the ground, it's definitely going to come back to you. It's also going to help with your client retention because this is the other thing you get, you know, you want to look at is that as if you have customers that are referring you to several other people, the more people they refer you to, they're not leaving. They're not like going, oh yeah, let me refer you to Justin and, but I'm using these other guys, right? So the more they refer you to that increases the odds that they stick around and stay with you longer. And sometimes like that gets kind of lost in the shuffle. So it is a twofold retention strategy and a referral business development strategy, you know, and in terms of our cost of sales and the value of retaining clients, it's not just, not just the, the financial payoff, it's the time payoff. Because here's what I find is like every good professional who's solid at what they do has always got lots of work coming at them, plenty to do, no shortage of opportunity. And what ends up happening is you run out of time to proactively, you know, knock on doors or whatever it might be. So I would say you want to, you know, keep growing and just and do it in a time efficient way because saying, hey, I don't know who else is out there, your neighbors or other trades that maybe you've seen that are great or people that, you know, uh, are friendly with that you think we could help. You know, if you're open to it, you know, I'd really appreciate if you could connect me to some of those folks that I'm probably never going to meet otherwise. If you just say that, it takes you 10 seconds and it's in the middle of the conversation. So you're not running out of time because what ends up happening is I think most people hit income ceilings earlier in their career because they can't grow and build beyond whatever they've, you know, whatever their quota is or, and like, there's no limit to what's out there. And so, you know, so they, to me, they all go together. Well, you mentioned this two referrals or two connections. And the way you say that is, is a perfect script for anyone listening. I mean, you just blended it in to the answer of a question with, with seamlessly. So well done on that. Thanks. I want to, you mentioned kind of this idea of building your team up. And, and I want to encourage all of us out there to go in next week and really focus on building our team up, building the confidence up. It's really easy to come into a meeting and say, you guys hit Mr. Sales goals. We need to work harder, more phone calls, more action get to work. But, yeah. but are you really helping them become the leaders they need to be? And as our employee staff and our teams become much more diversified in age, I think we have to have, continue to have this, you know, this vision first approach where we're talking about where we want to be and how we get there and building up the confidence. 
versus yeah. diminishing our team. Yeah, I think the more you can invest in your team, the more time-wise, dollar-wise, and them learning and acquiring skills while they work for you, the bigger the payoff. I think and I saw some Wharton School of Business study years ago, and most companies get $22 for every dollar they invest in employee, which is why very large organizations invest heavily in their teams. Smaller to medium-sized companies try to, quote-unquote, hire professionals who know what they're doing, but I don't care. You know, even if you're drafted number one pick in the draft and you come in as a new hot quarterback, if they're not developing your skills once you're there, you're not going to succeed. So all of us as leaders, owners of our organizations or leaders in our organizations have to be looking at what's the development plan for my team? How can I boost up their confidence? And and the other thing I'll say as as it relates to especially the special teams players and helping them expand their skills and relating to customers and growing that growing the business is giving them clarity of what to do and how to do it is going to make them more confident because if I'm a project manager and I'm taking on a new project I know exactly what has to happen for that project to go well if you ask me to help out with business development or help us kind of grow or hold on to our clients I don't know exactly what that means so if you don't make that really clear and simple I'm going to lose a lot of energy and I'm probably not going to want to do it because it seems too vague and I'm going to shy away from it. So the more clarity you give somebody in any role about what you're asking them to do and the more you rehearse it and the more confidence you build in them, the better off they are going to be, you're going to be, your clients are going to be, et cetera. You you hit a, a hot topic that I definitely wanted to discuss. So we're going to dive right into it. And that's hiring salespeople. So Two-part question here. How do you recommend organizations find and hire, make sure that they're hiring the right people for their sales organization? And also, how has that shifted over the years that you've been in the business to this new generation of young sellers coming in? Yeah. So a couple of things on hiring. As a, as a leader, you got to have a bench. I don't care if you have openings today or not. You got to build a bench. You have to always be looking out for great talent that is out there. And when great talent becomes available, you know, you got to make a, you got to make a place, right? So for you and your whole team, you got to go to your customers, you got to go to your vendors, and you got to go to your other key strategic business allies, customers, vendors, other key strategic business allies, and let them know we are always on the hunt for great talent. And if you ever meet anybody who's a great individual performer, who just happens to have landed at the wrong company, right? Then you got, you know, I hope you would connect the two of us. And when you meet them, I'm telling you, they have jobs, right? And you got to let them know, like, Justin, you seem like a great guy. I know I'm not looking to interrupt what you're doing, but someday down the road, hey, it'd be cool. It'd be really cool if we got a chance to work together. You pay them that compliment. You build that bench. You put them on your recruiting board. And then you stay in touch with them, you know, regularly every four to six months. You reach out to them, see how they're doing, get together with them, et cetera, and you build that bench. That's how you get great talent as you get way, way ahead of it. And, and to me, like that's where the focus should be is in advance of building that bench. Like I know Nick Saban just retired as the coach of uh, Alabama football, but there was a story that somebody told me I was speaking in Alabama once and uh, somebody said I was on the golf course right after Nick Saban was originally hired and they shut down the golf course. They have this announcement on the golf course and they said, hey, everybody come into the clubhouse. And people are like, come into the clubhouse? Like, what's going on? They sh- literally shut down the golf course. 
So everybody goes in the clubhouse and Nick Saban is at this clubhouse. And he says, hey, when he had just taken over the team, he goes, listen, um, you know, excited to be here. No, and just to tell you the future of Alabama football, I says, no disrespect to the former uh, regime that was here in charge of the team. But when we got here, there were 50 people on the recruiting board. Today, there are over 700. And I can promise you that Alabama football is about to get a lot better. And you know, you guys all know the kind of track record that he had. So having to focus on that as a leader. So if you're in a leadership role, I always recommend a minimum of one hour to five hours a week actively recruiting, right? Staying in touch with those people, getting the word out. And I'll give you one other tip. This will be like, you said, I'm going to give trade secrets. This will be one of the little, little tips. If you go to your low price competitor, like one of the targets should be your low price competitor in the market, right? Because if there's somebody who's a low price competitor, we already know low price competitors, they have high turnover, they're late on their jobs, poor, poor workmanship, uh, lots of comebacks, all that kind of stuff. So the people who sell that work get really frustrated, all right? And I'm, I'm telling you, that's always a great target. There's great people that work in that low-price competitor because maybe they were doing bigger volume, but they get super frustrated and it, it's kind of easy pickings to recruit them away. So that's, that's a little I, trade secret. I like that. And, and to build on that, I'll say some of these low-price competitors five years ago were the standard of the market. They were the marquee group of your market, but because of turnover and, and potential branch expansion or acquisition. We see a lot of that. Maybe they have refocused into the low price competitor and that key employee who's been there for 15 years is just thick of the low quality. And you yeah. can't have low price and high quality just don't go together. Right. So that's great advice. And I think all of us in the trades can probably think of a company in our market that we should be targeting. I, I guarantee you. And it's not just the business development folks. It's uh, PMs and everybody who's in execution because they don't want to do bad work, right? Yeah. But if, if somebody underbid, I mean, how often does that happen? Somebody underbids the job and then goes to the field and says, well, you guys got to figure it out. And the field is going insane. Going, I don't know how, I, like, I can't do $200,000 worth of work for $100,000. I can't do it. And you're ask, that's what you're asking me to do. So I'm telling you, it's a great, it's a great recruiting ground for all of you. Yeah. Good, Maggie. What are you thinking? No, I was just, I was <laughs> literally just thinking, you know, how many people don't realize, you know, that they are doing a $200,000 project for $100,000 too. There's that whole complex there, like we're way underselling the quality <laughs> that we're delivering. Well, and that happens all the time in the middle of it. So I was like, you know, getting really good. So this is another, I'm a huge fan of having tough conversations, which is why I called my first book, Conversations Made Easy, is I want you to be able to lean into it. So change orders, right, you know, for the trades has always been that, oh, oh yeah. it's a change order, right? Who's going to tell them? What are we going to say? You know, we really need to add an extra 10 or 20,000 of this. We'll tell them, we'll only charge them five. I'm like, no, 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 no. Uh, you got to get really good in your new client or new project onboarding. You got to let them know like, hey, it's not uncommon in the middle of a project to come across some kind of some opportunity that we didn't know about even existed when we first scoped out the project. So I'll probably come to you two or three times during the course of the project and say, hey, you have a unique opportunity to extend this deck out another 10 feet. We can still do it. We're still in code. Yeah, it adds 20,000. But if I were, if it were me, you know, 20,000 on a two, two and a half million dollar property, I'd want to extend the deck out another 10, 20 feet. What do you want to do? 
And now it's like not a big deal because you told them about it in the beginning. But if you're not really on top of that and you're onboarding and you're catching them like in the moment, you know, before a homeowner goes on vacation or you're texting them on vacation, do you want to do another 10 feet on the deck for an extra 20 grand? <laughs> you're going to have a very different response than if you said, hey, we're going to come across some stuff during the course of the project. And I'll just call you and let you know what your options are. It'll probably add some time. It'll probably add some money. But if you handle it right, it's going to go a lot better. I promise you. Change orders. We just had a huge talk on change orders at my company two weeks ago because we were going over on labor hours. And this is one thing Aspire really helps us is tracking our hours per, not just job, but per work ticket, like pavers and concrete, planters and debts. And we realized like, my gosh, we keep going over on this job on the pavers. So we went back, we talked to the PM, we realized every time we went to work on the pavers, the pool contractors were in the way. So the guys yeah. would have to reshuffle that morning. And instead of doing yep. pavers, we go work on the deck. Well, yeah. now you got masons with all their tools shifting over to try to be carpenters. And I asked, well, is a general contractor setting us up for failure? And it was like, yeah, yeah. we were supposed to have full access to the paver patio and we didn't. I was like, that's the change order. We, you know, it's a tough conversation. But if we handle it properly on the onboarding and when it happens, we bring it up, whether it's direct to homeowner or yeah. DC who you're working with, say, hey, this is what we were doing. We had to refocus. We lost two hours with a four-man crew. Hey, that's eight hours. I charge a thousand bucks a day per guy. I know uh -huh. it's feeling like nickel and dime, but I got to send you a change order for a thousand bucks. Yep. And those little things, when you communicate to your team and get down to the foreman or the crew leader around opportunities to extend the deck. Or mishaps with scheduling that are out of your control. You uh -huh. got to talk. You got to elevate that. You point out such a good way to do it is start with the onboarding of the client. That's what I'm getting here. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely start with the onboarding. The other thing I would say is getting people comfortable talking about money and adding a thousand or ten thousand or twenty thousand dollars to a job for a lot of a lot of customers, a lot of homeowners, it's not really that big of a deal. But in our mind or in your people's your team's mind, they're like, oh my God. I can't call this customer and tell them it's going to be an extra thousand dollars or five thousand dollars. And they're freaking out when the customer will be like, yeah, you, it's an extra five grand to do that. Go ahead. Right yeah. now, if you got a, G, a GC involved um, and you haven't onboarded it right, you know, the GCs might push back because that's part of their role is they're, you know, taking a, a nickel out of this, you know, sub to get a dime over here. So you got to be really clear on your onboarding. Otherwise, yeah, you're going to have problems. But most end user customers are happy to spend the extra money if they're going to get something more than what they thought they were even going to get out of it in the first place. And I think helping your team not have anxiety about discussing finance or increased pricing and things like that can only make their job easier, right? And have, you know, great win outcomes for you and your customers. A lot of times people create that own narrative in their brain because of their own financial situation. And they, you know, yeah. $5,000 to them seems like a lot, whereas to somebody else, it might not be a lot. And I run into it all the time, pricing software, pricing, whatever it may be. People think that if you drill it down to a really digestible amount and set the expectation yeah. off the bat, it, it yeah. seems pretty easy. Going back though, to this idea of not only keeping and hiring right, both on the client side and on the, the people side, what have you noticed in your career as something that sales organizations are, are doing wrong? Or like, are you see as a consistent, consistent things within sales organizations that 
people sure. are doing wrong? Yeah, I mean, a number one. So we talk about something uh, we call go live as a measure of live dialogue that you have with your people, your people have with your customers and your prospects. So, so we want you to have more live dialogue. If you're in full-time sales role, business development role, our number is four hours a day of go live dialogue, okay? Four hours a day on the phone or in front of or on a Zoom call with a customer or prospect. If you're in a, a special teams role, your PM, your field superintendent, whatever, I'm okay if it's an hour a day or maybe even in some cases it's a half hour a day, but there is a measure of go live dialogue. So what's happened, you know, in, in tech, as technologies hit, I started, you know, in this field in 1995. 1995 emails were kind of a new thing. And like, oh, you know, and I answered every email that came in every day, right? <laughs> it was 10, 12, 15 emails. It wasn't really a big deal. Unfortunately, what's happened is people have, have just gone to email as a primary method of communication. And so they've over, there's an over-reliance on email. And so what happens is, you know, you talk about that change order example. If you just email the customer like, hey, there's, you know, it's going to be an extra 5,000 and you didn't explain the context, you didn't have the tonality, you didn't have the ability to remind them about the onboarding session where we talked about this, you're really setting yourself up for significant conflict. And so the over-reliance on email as a primary method of communication is a huge problem in the sales world and operationally too. I know operations-wise, you're doing it to document, but have a conversation first and then do the email as your paper trail, as your documentation trail. Uh, I think you're going to be far better off. And I'll tell you, Maggie, like to touch on a couple of other points that you made, one of the reasons people email is they lack the confidence to have a conversation with somebody else. And so many business development sales-related conversations are tough conversations, whether it's a new customer, it's a competitive bid, it's more money, whatever it is. So they lack confidence. The best way to improve your skills in talking to people is to record your calls, okay? And unless you record, if you're not recording your calls and getting feedback, so I have this great sales guy that I've been coaching. His name is Brandon. Brandon, back in December, sent me a batch of about seven, eight calls that he made, cause some voicemails, some, you know, like typical calls. I listened to them. I, we picked up about four or five things. And when I get that first batch of calls, I called them back. I go, okay, Brandon, I like your overall tone. Here's a couple things you need to do. I came back with four or five suggestions and then he recorded. And he sent me his new call that is typical, so much better, okay? So much better. And so what I find is that one of the reasons people don't make calls, because the effectiveness of the conversations they're having today is low. So I want winnable work, right? And I want to be moving in that, like, ideally yeah. for long-term professionals, you're winning in the 60 to 80%, right? Once you're winning yeah. 60 to 80%, you know, and charging what you need to, you're golden, Right. That, and that's so, what we should be working towards. I completely agree. And, and I think it starts with identifying your ideal client who is finding value in what you bring. We all have yeah. a unique selling proposition or a unique value proposition. And if you understand your unique value proposition and you understand your ideal client and those two are in alignment, then you should be speaking the language that they understand. So mm -hmm. if you're a 20 to 30% close rate company, you know, what is, a, what is the first one or two things that you would recommend doing to try to move that up 10 points in the next 12 months? Yeah. Number one, record your calls, all right? And start listening to them. Get the people who are making them to listen to them and then get somebody who knows how to diagnose what's wrong. Like when I listen to Brandon's calls, I just gave you that one example. 
I knew right away, I was, I mean, I knew right away what was wrong and what he needed to do. All I needed to do is communicate to, that to him and I needed him to make the changes and then we can go on to the next level and the next level of calls. Because when he sent me the next batch of calls, it was significantly better, but it, it wasn't perfect yet because we're going to keep going. So number one is record your calls, okay? Number two is you got to have examples of what success looks like. So you have to have video and recorded recorded conversations and recorded video of what a, a world-class sales call looks like. Because most people in the sales world, you know, have been winging it, feeling their way through a dark room their whole career, picking up a few things here and a few things there. As, as a leader, like I know if I go to Coach Shanahan, he has documented video of everything that he tells his team to do, what success looks like. And it is not by accident. So if you're, and I don't care if you're hiring seasoned professionals, you got to give yeah. them video examples of what success looks like. If you just did those two things, uh, you'd be so far ahead. And then I'd, uh, at the third thing is some kind of weekly practice, skill practice, developing skills. What do you have internally built? If any of your listeners want to come as a guest to a weekly Elevate session, again, just yeah. come to ChrisJenningsGroup.com, click on uh, group coaching and tell them they want to come as a guest. There's a you know free program, intro program every month they can come to, or they can come as a guest to an Elevate session. And you can model, role model that internally in your company and start to build that. Yeah, let's do it for you, but you guys can do it. You got to have somebody there like showing what success looks like and building the skills. Yeah. And, and that Elevate call is fantastic. We are on it. We have been on it every, every week with a good group. And yeah, I would recommend if anyone's listening and you do want to improve your coaching, your sales, to reach out to Chris and, and his team at ChrisJeningsGroup.com. It's been fantastic for us. This isn't a sales pitch. It's more just we've experienced this and, and, I, yeah. and I brought you on today to help get the, the news out there, get the word out there that there's a better way. Stop, you know, Instead of bidding 10 jobs to get two, let's bid 10 jobs to get six or seven and start making a difference. And, and I will share one last story. So my, my dad still works in the company as our special sales, special team salesperson, right? And yeah. he's been doing this for 35 plus years his close rates 80 percent yeah and our company average you know i'll be honest and open here and vulnerable with our listeners our company average is 33 percent. so chris we've got some we got some room yeah. to prove here but everyone's always like oh well that's just pendle he just he just picks and chooses his jobs or this or that well we talked about it a couple of weeks ago during one of our sales meetings it turns out he just he gets all the stuff no one else wants he doesn't get to pick and choose. He gets, he gets the jobs that no one else, it doesn't really fit in a box. It's like, man, yeah. no one wants to take this. So he takes it. So it's opposite of what we thought. And it turns out it is truly his technique, the ability to connect and the ability to close a client in the first few minutes of talking with him. He just has that touch. And we're trying to systematize and train that. But it's, uh, it's all about recording and learning and practice. Yeah. And I'll also say it's probably his confidence level. So when he walks into it, when he walks into a job, like he probably oozes credibility. And Maggie, you brought it up at the very beginning. Like, hey, you know, some people are new in their career. So how do you get somebody new in their career to ooze credibility when they've only been in the job for 90 days? Right. And I, I understand, you know, there's a bit of a fake until you make it. But if, you know, we can build personal confidence and acquire skills and you have a process. So I don't care, like Justin, you know, if today I'm closing one out of three, but next year I've gone from 33% to 43%, the next year to 53% and so on all the way to, 
up to 80%. If you're closing more than 80%, you're not charging enough, right? You just, you got, yeah, you're sure. undercharging. That's what that means. And so you got to raise your prices. But really, that's what you should work towards. And here's the other message I want to get out to newer people in their careers. Don't judge the effectiveness of this role or this career based on your results in year one or even year two, right? You really got to look at how are you going to perform in year five and year 10 over the course of your career, like software sales or, you know, representing a, an HVAC or a pool company or a landscape company where you can make great money and have a lot of fun doing it, have it be a very rewarding career where the majority of your effort has a payoff. In the beginning, I want you to win the deal or I want you to win the lesson. And if you're winning lessons and you're a student of the game and you got a personal journal where you're making notes about what you learned or you took one of our books and you like, you know, you've been making notes in the margins and you've been highlighting the things that you picked up in there that actually helped you over time, you're going to grow. You're going to get a lot better. So don't judge your, don't judge your career success based on year one. Just know you're going to continuously learn and get better and get to that 80%. That'll happen down the road. And it's just a matter of whether, how, how fast you want to get there is really a factor of how hard you want to work on getting better. It's, it's so true. Awesome. Yeah. I always use the phrase and I turned around to look at my book because I wanted to see if I had the book behind me. But it's uh, nothing to lose and everything to gain, especially in those few first years of sales. I mean, understanding that concept is critical to take your sales career where you want it to go long-term. Yeah. And Kendall yeah. And has nothing to lose. He has everything to gain. He has literally nothing to lose. So that's probably why he's going out there and closing 80% of his deals. So, well, and if you're starting to interrupt now, one last thing, and I'll pass it back to you. I just want to say, if you're in a company and you're wanting to grow and you're in year one, two or three, and you're feeling like there's no one helping you grow, you may have to take a look around and ask yourself, is this the right environment for me? And, and is this the place I see myself in year five and 10 being successful? I think that's one yeah. of the, the key things of a young entrepreneur is to get out and surround yourself with great people, but also don't give up. If, if you do have that opportunity to learn, stick in the game a little bit, progress yeah. over. Well, and even like, you know, that guy, Brendan, I was talking about, Brendan's company is not yet working with us. Brendan just came to me on his own as an individual and said, hey, I'm in this job. I know there's people around me making good money. I'm not making good money. I need to get better and I need to get better faster. It's like, got three kids. His wife is pregnant. He's like, I need to make some money. And so he's like, so I'm going to, I want to invest in myself. Now his company sees how well he's doing. So there, I have a call tomorrow because they're seeing how, what a great job he's doing as a result of this. So just because your company, for the listeners out there, just because your company isn't investing in you today, that is no excuse for you not to invest in yourself. Like invest in yourself and your career and I promise you, it's going to pay off. Like, there's no investment. I, you know, I can't go invest a hundred bucks in the stock market. And if I'm, if I make $8, I'll be doing great. But I can invest a hundred dollars in myself and make $200 or $300. That's, and that's a legit payoff that can actually happen. So I'm going to encourage you, whether your company's fit in the bill or not, you know, just go get better, go get help, get coaches get resources, invest in yourself. There's nothing, as a sales manager, your, your comment about that guy with his family and, and everything, there's nothing that a sales manager loves more than an employee, oh. than a salesperson with debt and a family. It's, <laughs> it's, it's so true. Yeah, it's but a motivator. I, but sure. on that note, I made it back, perfect timing for my favorite, favorite part. 
of our episode. So I'm gonna gonna lay it on you, Chris. Can you share our, with our listeners your trade secret for today? Yeah, the, the trade secret, and I tipped my hand to it earlier, is you know, is really twofold. Is so go live, you know, have live dialogues. Don't rely, don't over rely on email. If you're communicating primarily through email, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage versus getting on a phone call or going to see somebody or get on a Zoom call, however you do that. And as you build, as you expand the go live time in your special teams group, brand it appropriately, right? So call it the project excellence team, call it the customer service specialty team, call it something that relates to something that's going to be meaningful to your crew. Don't go tell your, your project management team, good news, you know, you, you all get to do help us with sales. No, you know, people are going to go running for the hills. So brand it appropriately for your organization and you'll get bit, way better by it. And it'll be a, it'll be a huge win for you, uh, your people and your customers. So those are my trade secrets of the day. Excellent advice there. So guys, I hope you enjoyed the talk today with Chris. If you want to read his book, it's called Conversations Made Easy. A new book is dropping March 19th, all about customer retention. And of course, he mentioned the website a few times, chrisjenningsgroup.com. A lot of free stuff on there. We've been using his team with great success. Chris, thanks so much for coming on today. Justin, Maggie, I had a blast. And Justin, congrats again, man. You know, Dublin sales in one year. High five to you, bud. And, you know, keep it up. Yeah, way to go. And, you know, to the listeners out there, just keep being a student of the game. And, and once you make a commitment to being a student of the game, I already know you're going to continue to do better. So thanks for listening. Thanks for having me on the show today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. You got it.